0: Well, I am, I am no authority on pop culture or Hollywood by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think I'm on safe ground to say that the most successful movie franchise of our day, and, and if not history, is this phenomenon of the, the superhero uh, movie saga. Um, and granted, it's, it's been well marketed and well produced and some big name actors, but for that franchise to be that successful, uh, I dare say it needs more than that, and I think it has something more than that. I think the whole genre just kind of taps into some key things that are, that are deeply rooted in, in who we are as humans. For one, there's, there's this black and white battle between good and evil. Uh, and I think that's kind of funny in our day and age, in our kind of uh, cultural climate. We're drawn to that. As much as we try to deny good and evil, uh, we, we want to go watch movies about it. And Then I think this genre picks up on, on something else is, is our need for a savior. Someone else to come from the outside. Someone who represents us but is not prone to our weaknesses and failures. Someone that can rescue us from a problem that, that we can't solve. Those are topics for another time. The theme I want to pick up on today is this idea of a role model. We, we want to see somebody doing it right. We, will, we love to watch someone that, that sacrifices their life, that does the, the noble thing for the good of others. Uh, and we walk away feeling like we've done something good. We walk away feeling like we've moved one step closer to being that person that we want to be as we see it kind of played out on the screen. And it's interesting, the writers of these movies, uh, I would say, are are actually kind of helpless to explain the themes of their own movies. It's kind of popular today to to, to do a a sermon series. There's even a book called The Gospel According to Batman. And we try to dissect, you know, the superhero movies and learn from that. That's going the wrong way. They have accidentally tapped into something way over their heads. They don't get it. They don't see it. Um, But as believers, we can look at this and dissect it a little bit and understand why this is so key? Why is it that this is such a, a big draw? God's created us this way. He's made us uh, with this desire to, to look on that which is, which is noble and good and, and follow after it. That's why Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, I think ends his letter the way he does. Uh, we're so desperate for role models Uh, and and we're so desperate to be inspired, we will look to fictional characters with made-up, sometimes ridiculous superpowers fighting against a pretend villain. What does that say about the culture around us? What does that say for our our desperate need for something to to look up to? Thankfully, those aren't our only options. Uh, Obviously, our ultimate superhero the, the consummate perfect role model is, is Jesus himself. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is what we should seek after and model ourselves after. The perfect man, the God-man, the, the only one uh, who is truly good and can do battle with evil as something apart from himself. Um, the one who lived this perfect life as a human in the full power of the Holy Spirit uh, and the one who is the true savior, who has rescued us from the true villain that we could never have defeated. But there's only, uh, there's not only Christ. That's not our only example. First uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, "Be imitators of me, as I follow Christ." Uh, he he sets himself up. He puts himself in that place of being a tangible example. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not, I'm not perfect, but as you see Christ in me, seek after those things. It's, it's a step in the right direction. And that's what he says here again this evening, or this uh, end of the book, uh, as he brings this great letter of Ephesians to a close. Uh, turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 21 to 24. If you don't have a Bible on you just go ahead and slip your hand one of our ushers will uh, grab one for you we want you to have God's word in your lap um, open in front of you Um, Ephesians 6 guys we've made it Um, we've come a long way Uh, six chapters 155 verses 2400 words I I googled it I didn't count um depending on the translation I suppose um this is sermon number 32 through Ephesians, so uh, my best guess is you've sat through about uh, 25, 27 hours of preaching on the book of Ephesians, uh, and, and I hope you feel like you've, you've gained an understanding of this great book, um, that, that as you come back to the book of Ephesians, reading through the Bible, you come to this, you're, you're going to be reading through it and thinking, yeah, I remember this. There's, there's more Here than I used to see. There's a there's a richer, fuller understanding of it. Uh, But more than that, I hope as you look back nine months to when we started, um, you see the effects of God's word in your life. As you read through this book again, um, you see certain verses and think, "Boy, I remember God convicted me there. I remember." He strengthened me there. I remember how that passage shaped and and formed the way that I saw God, that I understood the world around me. So um, let's get into these last four verses. Two things I think Paul uh, leaves with the Ephesians and and with us as he gives his final farewell. I think this last passage calls us to look to Paul's example and then to live in Paul's gospel. First, look to Paul's Example, and read verses 21 and 22 for us. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This was before the days of the postal service unreliable as it is. It was even worse back then. Uh, and if you wanted to send a letter, you, you had to send it with someone. You had to entrust someone with this task. And it was not a small task. Uh, travel was dangerous. It was arduous. Uh, and, and it often took months to get from, from one city to another. And so Paul has chosen Tychicus, a beloved and faithful minister, a servant in the Lord, to, to carry this precious letter. Most likely, Tychicus also carried uh, the letter to the Colossians, to the the city of Colossae that was nearby, uh, and possibly also uh, Philemon and Philippians, which were written about the same time as Ephesians. But he's more than just a letter carrier. He is a a personal messenger of Paul. Uh, He's a longtime co-worker with Paul. Back in Acts chapter 20, um, when Paul was taking the collections from around Greece and Macedonia to, to care for the, Jeru- the, the church in Jerusalem, which was under a drought. Um, it was Tychicus uh, from Asia who came as a representative to, to come with that gift, to help oversee it, to bring his greetings to the church in, in Jerusalem. Um, they would have spent months traveling together. And he came to trust Tychicus. Uh, Titus 3.12, we see that either Artemis or Tychicus, we're not sure who, um, ended up going to Crete um, to to take over pastoring the church there so that Titus could be freed up uh, to come and visit Paul. Uh, So it's no surprise that he's called a faithful servant. Uh, And then it's no surprise that that he's more than just a letter carrier. Uh, He's been sent by Paul to update the Ephesians, on, on everything that's happening and, and how he's doing. Uh, paper and ink were expensive. It was not a small thing to write a letter. And so Paul writes down the key message, this, this precious, precious letter to the Ephesians. But, but then Tychicus is, is there to kind of pass on the more personal, you know, fill in the blanks. How are things going? What's happening uh, in Paul's life? And this is what I want you to see here. Why does Paul see this as such a valuable thing? Why is it so important to Paul that that the Ephesians are told everything about how he is and how he's doing and what he's doing? Um, Why not just pay a a trusted servant to make the delivery? And he tells us, verse 22, he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Boy, that, that makes preaching easy. Here it is. This is the purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. It's helpful to know here the word encourage in the Greek is is never used as this kind of passive uh, emotional thing that that we kind of tend to use it as in the English. Um, We say, I just want to encourage you, or, 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 oh, I'm so encouraged. And and often we're typically just talking about an emotion. I I want to feel better. I want you to feel better. Um, that's, That's not the word used here. Um, the, the word here is parakaleo, which uh, is the same word that's sometimes used as a name for the Holy Spirit. You've heard the Holy Spirit called the paraclete, perhaps. That's, that's this word, the, the encourager or the um, uh, advocate. Uh, and it's, it's two words kind of smashed together. It means to call alongside. And if you've ever been hiking with kids or walking with kids, maybe on some like kind of rocky terrain, um, you have to tell kids, hurry up, come on, let's go. And you can, you can call them all day long. I don't know what it is. Something happens in their brain when you're like, come on, hurry up. And it seems like they just get slower still. You're right, I ought to be careful here. Um, but it's a very different thing to reach your hand back and say, come up alongside me. Come here, let me, let me take your hand. Let me bring you with me. Let me bring you up to my pace. Let me empower you and strengthen you to keep up with me. That's the picture here. It's not just a a calling. It's a calling alongside. It's an empowerment. It it leads to action and and strength for action. That's the purpose for which Paul is sending Tychicus. Go and and take them by the hand and encourage them. Bring them along. Strengthen them to action. Um, And that's the form that... That, 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 that's what Tychicus is to be doing. And, and then the question is, how is he to be doing it? What is it that's supposed to encourage them? Well, specifically, it's, it's hearing about Paul's life and his mission. But remember, where is Paul at the writing of this letter? What has Paul been doing? If Paul is calling the Ephesians and us to, to walk alongside him, to come with him, to keep up, Where is he going? Where are we to be going with him? What is he to be strengthening us to do? By the way he introduces this, you'd think it would be good news. You'd think Tychicus is going to come and and tell the people how successful Paul has been, how good his life has gone, everything's wonderful, come with Paul, this will be great. And, And that's not exactly the story. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem for, for preaching the gospel. He was, he was doing what he should have done, and it, and it landed him in prison. His trial was postponed and put off because of these attempts on his life by the Jews, and he was forgotten there. He was, he was left for three years. Uh, and he was used as this political pawn and, and brought back onto trial, um, only to appeal to Caesar, which was a, a serious thing. He was now taken as a prisoner to Rome. Um. And, and he was under house arrest in Rome waiting for who knows long. He doesn't have a, a trial date. It's whenever Caesar feels like it. And he's going to stand before Caesar, Nero. Caesar, if you know the the uh, flow of his life, he's at this point where he is demanding that everyone call him Lord, call him divine. And he's paranoid that his throne is going to be taken over. And he is killing people left, right, and center who, who threaten his and Paul is going to stand before him and say, "Uh, Jesus is Lord. The exact phrase that he was demanding others say of him wasn't going to go well. wasn't looking very positive. So how is this supposed to encourage them? How, How is this message supposed to help them and give them strength? Come along with Paul, it's gone horribly wrong. But if we define encouragement biblically I think there's a lot of encouragement here Paul says follow after me keep going keep going through the trials and the suffering through the hardship it looks difficult but look at my life be strengthened be encouraged by this take this to the end this is it's worth it going back to the the hiking illustration Um, Beth and I used to do a lot of backpacking when we were first married. Uh, Kids make that complicated. Um, But there are different stages to every hike. Um, First, when you start off, you have what we came to call the slog. You're in the trees, you're in the lowlands, in the valley. It's dark, there's nothing to see, and it just seems to last forever. You're just plodding along, and it's dull, and it feels pointless and endless. Endless. After a while, you you come up out of the trees, but what you come to then is the hardest part of the hike. You're into the rocky, slippery, dangerous trail. Um, It's scary. It's hard. It's it's now steep incline, and the pack on your back makes your legs just burn with every step, and, and you'd like to give up. It's painful and hard, but after that, stage three is the payoff. You come over the top of that ridge and you get to see the 360 degree view, the mountains all around the majesty of God's creation. That's what it's all about, that breathtaking view. And the picture here is that we're down in the slog, surrounded by trees blocking our view, surrounded by doubts and uncertainty, slowly plodding along, trying to just keep going the right direction. Or maybe you're on the rocky face. It's scary, it's treacherous, it's hard, it's painful. And it's hard work just to, to continue to take a step, and, and that burden on your back is overwhelming. And, and Paul's coming over the top. He's getting this full view of the, the beauty of this landscape, this reward that lies ahead of us. and he's calling back, "Keep going. Come on keep going, press on, make it all the way. It's worth it, church. It's worth it. You ever wonder if it's worth it? You ever feel like you're just never going to get to the end? You look back, maybe, have we we gotten anywhere? We're just on a treadmill here? Wonder, when when I get to the end, will I look back and think, uh, that was wasted. Second-guessing. Maybe you're going through some hard times right now. Debating, do I, do I carry on? This is difficult. There's different challenges ahead of you. Do I, do I share the gospel with my coworkers and risk offending them? Do I stand up against my boss and, and refuse to fudge the numbers and, and risk losing my job? Do I give in to lust or do I keep fighting this battle relentlessly? Should I give up on my marriage or continue giving myself sacrificially with no return? How much do I give myself to Christ and the church and holiness? And how much do I hedge my bets, dipping into sin along the way and trying to kind of get the best of both worlds? Paul says, look at my life and be encouraged, be strengthened. This gospel that I've been telling you about, I've given my life for it. And even after more than than four years as a prisoner, after being whipped and beaten and stoned and left for dead, after traveling countless miles and going cold and hungry and neglected, being shipwrecked three times, being run out of every city that I go into by my own people whom I love, let me tell you again, it's worth it worth it. Go for it. Go all the way. Give 100%. Go to the end. I've seen the view from the top and it's all worth it. He's looking back over the book of Ephesians, everything that he's taught them, everything that he's called them to do. And he's saying, now go for it. Live it out. It's it's worth it. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Paul puts himself there as this example. Look at my life. Look at the outcome of my life and and press on. But he's not our only example. It's another reason I think he sent Tychicus, a faithful brother. And he says in verse 22 that that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Includes Tychicus in this. Look at him too. Hear his story. Hear how he has been faithful to to overcome, to press on through the difficult times. Tychicus was to be another encouragement, another example to follow, another life to emulate, another hand to hold on to, another voice calling back saying, It's good. I've seen the top and it's worth it. Hebrews 13, 1-6 begins with this list of challenges toward holiness. And, and it's just, it's huge. It's, it's a mountain here. Listen to this. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect showing hospitality for strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels underwear. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in since you also are in the body. Let, the mar- sorry, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So there's the call. It's hard. This is is what we're aiming for. Look at the the top of the mountain. Push, press on through the slog. Keep going up the hard, rocky trail. And he points first to Christ. The Lord is our helper. I won't fear. He's the one who's with us. Look to Jesus. And then after that, to encourage his readers. Look at the next verses. Uh, Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he says, press on, be encouraged, look to Christ, and then look to the leaders of your local church. I hesitate to say it. My life is so far from perfect. Those of you who know me know that, but it's not about me. It's about God's grace. So go ahead. Look at my life. Look at the lives of those who this fall will be installed as elders here. Ask them about the trials they've faced, the hardships they've come through. Ask them about the vision they have of the top. Ask them about the seasons of, of plodding along, dry and weary. Ask them about the, the hard times, how they live their lives, and if it's been worth it. This is why we see small groups as an important thing we to to live this through together we need we need to know one another we need to be walking through these valleys together seeing each other's lives and I think we can go beyond that Uh, I would encourage you read good Christian biographies stories of those who 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 were faithful who went on ahead Uh, read George Mueller's autobiography Read Adoniram Judson's biography, uh, To to Golden Shore. Read Through Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliott. There are so many great stories of faithful believers. Uh, I'm going to throw a link up on on Facebook of just a wealth of short, easy-to-read, free biographies that you can just get your hands on. Some of them are PDFs you can download. Some of them are audio you can listen to. Uh, But look at the lives of faithful men and women and and consider the outcome. And, And remember... There's a reason Hebrews ends that passage that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. That's not just a pointless throw on. If God was faithful to them, if it was worth it for them and every single one of them at the end of their lives would say it was worth it. And certainly now looking back from glory would say it was all worth it. And if it was worth it for them, it's worth it for us. You've got to be encouraged. You've got to be strengthened by that. So first, look to the life of Paul as he follows Christ and to other faithful believers as they trust the Lord and continue on. And then he says, live in the gospel. Go forward in it. Heed the call. It was customary in that day. Uh, for a letter to end with this kind of final blessing, a series of of well wishes for its recipients. Uh, Paul kind of hijacks that custom and and he turns it into something much more meaningful. It's a prayer. It's not just a wish. it's It's a prayer to God. Listen to this final prayer, these final words, verses 23 and 24. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. These verses are, are beautiful, but I think at first read, we just kind of skim over it. Um, it. It almost seems shallow. It's just a goodbye, and it's not. It's so much more than that. He's recapping his entire letter in these two verses. As you read, you ought to have flashbacks to the rest of of the letter. Uh, He uses four key words here, peace, love, faith, and grace. Peace be with the brothers. What does that mean? Well, let's go back. Look at at what he's already written. It's the gospel of peace from from 615, by which we have peace with God, the peace that guarantees that that everything we face is, is not from God's wrath and God's punishment, which was once Turned toward us, but now from God's love and under his watchful eye for those of us who are in Christ. It's peace from chapter 2 that unites us to God and together to to one another. Listen to Ephesians 2.14 and following. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both Jews and Gentiles, made us both one, broken, breaking down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached Peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the peace that Paul's now praying for, for us. Peace with one another and peace with God. Paul says that that peace would come with love, with faith. Love is a regular theme throughout the book. It shows up six unique times And the emphasis here, I think, is is love for one another. It's the love from from chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's this supernatural love that gives meaning and fullness to the peace that we have. It's, it's not just a, a laying down of arms. It's a, it's a unity together, a love for one another. It's a supernatural love. It's rooted in faith. That, that link between faith and love harkens back to the, the introduction of the letter. Ephesians 1.15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. That love only happens as a a work of the Lord. It's our faith in Christ that produces love for one another. And he says this love and faith are from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, That's why he's praying for them, that they would have this love with faith, that God would give it to them. Verse 24, grace. Grace be with all. Grace is what makes the link between us and the goodness of God. It's the conduit through which every good gift flows. Grace is God's undeserved favor toward us. It's his kindness toward us in spite of our sin, in spite of what we deserve. We deserve death and hell. That would be God's Justice, God's righteousness toward us. But Ephesians 2, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him, seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace, In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work. So that no one can boast. And he prays for this grace. Not for everyone. But specifically for all those. Who love our Lord Jesus Christ. With love incorruptible. That's who that grace is is for. So what does it mean? Love incorruptible. What does it mean to have an uncorrupted love for Christ? Harkens back to the last verses. It's a love that continues on. It's a love that perseveres. It doesn't falter. It doesn't fall away. It doesn't turn off the path and go a different way. It continues on through temptation, through hardship. It's a love that perseveres to the end. Now make no mistake, this is a a genuine prayer to God for them, but, but it's also still a call to them, press on, continue on, be the kind of person who can be confident in the grace of God in your life. God's grace is for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Those who are distracted, those who love Christ with a mixture of selfishness. Those who love Christ with a love that is twisted by, by false teaching and a wrong understanding of who he is. Those who love Christ with a love that is mixed with a love for the world. I want Jesus and sin. Those people can have no confidence in the grace of God. That's why Paul is so passionate here, so Desperate As he closes this letter, continue on, persevere, don't give up, don't don't turn off the trail, don't walk away here. Don't give up, know and love this gospel and live in it. Know the, the truth of the gospel. That's why he's written this letter. Here it is. Chapters 1 to 3, this is the truth. This is what Jesus came to do. That their understanding of God's grace and salvation would not be corrupted by error. And then that they would live in the gospel. Chapters 4 through 6. Live lives worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Living in unity as a church. Using their spiritual gifts and serving one another. Loving, forgiving, bearing with one another. Living lives full of the Spirit as husbands and wives and children and parents and servants and masters. Then as he's been wrapping this up, persevere, fight This battle, stand firm against the demonic powers that would seek to derail you, would seek to discourage you, to pull you off track, to cause you to falter and give up and stumble. The overarching call here is press on, continue to the end, read over what I have said and hold on to that. God's grace comes to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, the love incorruptible. I love he uses that that triple term there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see Paul using different variations. Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the one who came to to die on our behalf. Jesus, his his humanity, the person of of Jesus that was born in a manger that, that personally suffered and died, and the Lord, the one who rules, the one who is sovereign over all, who holds this World and your life in his hands, who will be faithful and who deserves our absolute submission and obedience and faith. Love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible and hold on. Press on. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't be faint hearted. Don't let your love for Christ be corrupted because it's worth it. I've seen the top. It's good. It's worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this great letter that you have written for your church through Paul and you have preserved for us that we can now hold it in our hands and see it with our own eyes and be personal recipients of your word. God, I pray that you would help us to understand and live in the truths that we've studied over the last months. God, that the church here and myself and all those here would be would be rooted in the truth of your gospel, that we would not be pulled aside, that we would not be distracted by, by false teachings, that we would not doubt your grace and your goodness to us in Christ, that we would not... Come to Christ in pride, thinking that's anything that we have done, but understand that it's all by grace through faith that no one can boast. Lord, that we would hold on to that truth. That we would live it out. Father, that our lives would be transformed by it visibly, notably. We would live lives worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Help us, Lord. You know the challenges that we face. You know that we sometimes feel like we are down in the trees, plodding along, wondering, are we going anywhere? Is there a point to this? Is there an end to this? Some of us find ourselves on the rocks. It's hard. It's painful. It's difficult. We wonder, is it worth it? Why not just give up? just go back to the sin of this world. Why not just live the easy life now? God, help us to see. Help us to look to the life of Paul and others. To be reminded again, to be encouraged. But It's worth it. That there's a resurrection. That this world is not our home. That these treasures here on earth are not even meant to satisfy us. But only to whet our appetite to see the the glory of who you are as the the fulfillment of of any joy this world has to offer. God, that our hearts would be so set on you that we would live as sojourners, pilgrims, wanderers through this world with our hearts set on our home with you, trusting it's worth it. Why would you do that? in us, individually, in us as a church. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.